Hey there, and welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this week's guests are the Super Nice Brothers, Ruben, Aaron, and Ilan. This week, we kind of kind of have a big question that I'm just going to frame things with, which is, for you, is it the journey or is it the destination? Which one is it about for you? Representing sort of the journey side here is Aaron. Aaron is a talented producer, mixer, audio engineer, and band manager. He, he's worked with a lot of musicians and artists, but most notably for this podcast, sort of a, a brotherly love edition of Nice Work, with his brother, who, as you'll learn, is most definitely destination-driven. Ilan partners with Trent Reznor in Nine Inch Nails, with uh, Blink-182's Tom DeLonge in Angels and Airwaves, and of course, his own project. He has his own project, The New Regime. He's prodigiously talented. In fact, just two weeks ago, he became the youngest living member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. At age 32, at 32, beating out the former youngest, some guy you may have heard of named Stevie Wonder. But before we get into the talk, I'd like to thank you for listening, for supporting this podcast, for getting behind the idea of making the world a nicer place. Because, damn it, we need it. <laughs> we really need it. And, and you know what company is stepping up again and again, putting planet over profits? Patagonia. Patagonia. I'm going to read you a short article that came out today about what they're doing instead of Black Friday and this Cyber Monday nonsense. The headline is, Patagonia says no to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, buy less, demand more. As with previous years, responsible outdoor clothing brand Patagonia is not going on sale on Black Friday, nor Cyber Monday. The B Corp certified company is releasing several stories and clips that stress the impacts of mass consumption and its impacts on the planet. Patagonia is also asking the community to really reconsider what they need to buy during this period, a thread it's extending to its physical stores, website, and social media accounts. The company is taking this a step further by placing hard-hitting creative reminders in nine entertainment newspapers, The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, and around the streets of Sydney and Melbourne. The advertisements read, and this is heavy, we're all screwed. So don't tell us that we can imagine a healthy future because the reality is it's too late to fix the climate crisis. And we don't trust anyone who says we need to demand a livable planet because we don't have a choice. Now read this bottom up. So if you're reading this, reverse that. It makes sense if you read it bottom up. Just Google it, read it. We're in business to save our home planet, Patagonia ANZ director Dane O'Shaughnessy said in a statement. We want to use business as a tool to tackle problems and find solutions. There are many initiatives we'd rather be drawing attention to. The drawing down of carbon, limiting greenhouse gas emissions, reducing waste, addressing microfiber pollution instead of encouraging rampant consumption. As part of Patagonia's Warnware program, the company continues to encourage customers to keep their Patagonia gear in play as long as possible. 
In Australia, the company directs its community to take garments into its worn wear repair hub at the Patagonia Sydney store or drop them off to any other Patagonia store or mail-in for assessment and free repair. Okay, that's the article. Free repair, keeping your clothes a long time. It's the antithesis of fast fashion, right? Buy good denim. It'll last 10 years. I have jeans I've had for a decade. Yeah, they cost more up front, but a decade of wear? Jackets I've had for 20, 25 years. Buy quality the first time and get it fixed. Resole your shoes. These are simple things to reduce consumption. And if you don't like the Super Nice Club preaching at you about consumption, I'm sorry. All right. A nicer world simply isn't possible if we don't reduce our consumption by 90%. Yeah, 9-0. 9-0. Isn't that crazy? But we can do it. All right. Enough on that. Enough on the preaching. Time for a great talk with two super nice brothers. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Ilan and Aaron Rubin. Aaron, Ilan, welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Super great to have you guys on today. Hi. Thank you for having us. So where are you guys right now? I'm currently in Los Angeles where I live, and um, I'll go ahead and answer for Aaron since I know he's in San Diego. All right, cool. So I'm going to try to be kind of orderly in this podcast. I tend to bounce around. I really fail at having a, a smooth chronology, but I'm going to try it with you guys. All right. We, You're going to we will help you out. Next. We'll help you out. Be like, about it. I want to start at the beginning a little bit, but just mm-hmm. warning you, I'll probably get ADD. You guys, what's the age difference between you two, by the way? Eight years. Aaron eight years. Eight years, my senior. Wow. He does not look eight years your senior. You're looking I good, know. Aaron. Yeah, you're looking good. <laughs> so you started super duper young. I know you did. That's your whole story. So much of what people focus on with you, Elon, is like, you're the young, young gun, young drummer that's been coming up all these years. But Aaron, you too, you were doing music really early on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably started, you know, playing drums around 11 or 12 and then got a guitar when I was 14. And then um, never really did anything band-wise up until my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And um, we needed a drummer. And my little brother, who was, I think, eight or nine at that time, was just killing me at the drums. So I was like, all right, well, if you're better than me, then go ahead and do it. And then little by little, he became better than me at every instrument. To the point where I just said, you know what? You play music, I'm going to do That was big of you. Yeah. Well, you know, some people really deserve to be doing what they're doing. And I think that that's a big thing with music these days is that, you know, a lot of people just do it for, you know, the fame or to write a hit or whatever, just to be part of something, but not because that's what they were meant to do. And I think Ilan is definitely at the top of his musical game. And I was fortunate to see that I wasn't. <laughs> I think that Aaron and I should only speak through podcasts now, you know, yeah. just, just so complimentary. I think this is the way we're meant to discuss things. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Next time you guys have a big argument mm-hmm. about anything, life argument, music, you're working on an album and you're just, just, Come to the Nice Work Podcast. We'll hash it out. So Beautiful. I saw something, I think, from you, Aaron, somewhere on the interwebs that you said that your dad had an 
early MIDI rig. Is that right? Was he into music? Where's that family? Yeah, I mean, my our our dad was, you know, kind of one of these high school band type guys, and then put on his big boy pants and said, "I'm going to go to college and go earn a living and have a family, and I can't be a road dog and any of that stuff." So, put all of his stuff in the garage and. I think at some point he started having some sort of a midlife crisis in the 80s when people could start buying synths and MIDI and Cakewalk, and that was kind of his, like, um, relief. He would just kind of create music and have fun doing it, but it was never for anything more than just himself. It was usually just like, oh, this sounds like this song, and then he'd try to recreate that song with all the different parts and... You know, then I just got to screwing around with it and from there started getting interest in music and whatnot. So all credit to Pops in a way for, for both of you guys getting into it, right? Definitely. I mean, yeah. he he also, not that he ever took it seriously. I mean, he took drums seriously when he was playing as a kid, probably from middle school throughout high school. But my dad, our dad, can also play guitar, bass, and a bit of piano. So... I don't know how much time he actually spent cultivating those talents, but he can play well enough on each of those instruments. And when I picked up the guitar, for example, we would often jam blues, so he instilled that in me, but he would be on bass and I would be on guitar. Or when he wanted to jam with me as a drummer, he would be on bass and I'd be on drums. So that multifaceted outlook in terms of what the different instruments were doing I suppose in hindsight came from him and I don't know when he picked up those instruments, but he can definitely play a bit of everything. Sounds a lot like uh, Prince's story, you know, with Prince's dad. It's how he turned out. Yeah. Multi-instrumental. Have you heard of him? He's pretty good. He was. Yeah. I've heard he of was crushing Prince. It. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was crushing it at 18, doing everything. I don't know if it's so relevant, he, but I'm, on, yeah. I'm definitely on the Michael Jackson side of the feud. I, I don't know if that Really offensive or not, but I definitely. No, <laughs> you think Prince was being kind of bitchy about that whole thing? Absolutely. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, big egos come with these multi instrumentalist types. That's what I hear. That's well, what I hear. You know, I, 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 get, <laughs> I get Prince being like, "Well, I can dance too, but I can also play all these instruments." But I just, I just think Michael Jackson had the had the tunes, man. That was Quincy Jones. A little credit I mean, to Quincy. I mean, a lot, a lot of credit to Quincy. Yeah. But uh, the 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 big singles that are credited to Michael Jackson and him not being a uh, an instrumentalist, I tip my hat to him. Have you heard his demos that were like voice recordings almost? Like it was just him kind of like acapella doing everything. No, that's Pretty phenomenal. He... Look up, really? okay. look up a beat it demo. And he's doing the bass line acapella. He's doing synth parts acapella and then all the harmonies because he wouldn't actually oh, play. So he's just right. actually going. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. <sighs> really amazing. amazing ear. But anyway, okay. back, back we'll, to less we'll get, important things. All right. So I'm with you there. I, mm. I don't have to pick a side. Mm. Just, I like them both. That's right? good. And, and Quincy. All right. So we'll be agnostic there. So you were, Elon, you were 11. Let's get into this whole thing. You were 11 when you played Woodstock, 20 when you joined Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And and a lot has been made of your youth. Youngest Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is that right? Yes, Inductee? sir. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So do you ever well, get tired living. of... What's that? Living. Oh, so who's the youngest dead Rock and Roll inductee? I mean, you have people like Jimi Hendrix, 
who died at 27. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that really counts. It doesn't he count. Wouldn't, he yeah. wouldn't have been inducted until yeah. he was of a certain age. That's but uh, Hendrix is still way cooler, so it doesn't matter. But um, yes. So do you ever get tired of, of um, the youth being the focus? Or is there a pressure like, I've got to be better than any 30-year-old? 40 year old, et cetera. Or do you use that as a, as a motivator? Uh, I, I suppose I use it as a motivator. The only one that is just completely irrelevant to me. And, um, don't cringe when I say this is that Woodstock one, just cause I was so young. It has nothing to do with, with skills. I mean, the only accomplishment really is having been of a certain age. Now the rock and roll hall of fame thing, for example, which is very recent, obviously, that means a lot to me because regardless of the age, I would be proud of it. So the fact that it has something to do with being 32 years old just kind of adds to it because it's one of those things that I would have always wanted to accomplish as a kid, thinking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame every year and all of my heroes who have been inducted or were being inducted on any given year. So actually being a part of that in some minor way is awesome and, and I'm proud of it. So the age aspect is just icing on the cake, I suppose. Now, in terms of competitive edge, I wouldn't say it helps at, at this age. When I was younger, I definitely did think that way because I just started so young and I did have a leg up on a lot of people. But I'm, I'm competitive anyway. So whether right. it had to do with age or anything else, I always want to be on top of my game. Now, Aaron, you were also getting into music and then making the, the switch, the pivot from playing to engineering, recording, mixing and all that. When did you make that pivot? Um, I made that pivot when the band that we were in, when I say we, me and Elon, mm -hmm. we had a band that was signed to like Universal Republic. We were signed, I think, what was it? It was like June of 2003. Is that Denver Harbor or is that? Yeah, the Denver Harbor. Okay. And we okay. were dropped by April of 2004. We didn't even make it a year on the label. So after that, I think there was like, there were like two tours left to do. And it wasn't until about 2005 when it was just like, am I going to go out there and like start a new band or go try to be in another band? And the answer was, you know what? No, I'm fine if I never step foot on stage ever again or whatever the you know i was always like the guy in the band who enjoyed the business side of things you know the the dialogue with the label with the producers with booking agents with you know strategy and stuff like that so i was like i think that's where my head's at mostly um i still like being creative so you know like i mentioned with my dad like he bought himself a little midi rig at some point i bought myself a little studio rig you know, with Pro Tools and whatnot. And this is in the early, early days of all of that stuff. And it was just kind of for me to just, you know, paint. Right. Not for anybody, but for myself. And little by little, it be it became like a really active hobby. And I really enjoyed doing it and, you know, getting things to sound good. And at some point, Elon wanted to start doing the new regime. And... He, you know, he asked me, he's like, what would we need to be able to record an album here in our garage? And so we put a little list together of stuff and we got it. And that was pretty much the first thing we ever really 
recorded as a full length that wasn't like a song here or there for bands that i was managing or whatever and bought a record and the whole thing was recorded in our you know parents garage that turned into a studio and um it kind of just went off from there and my hobby then became kind of an equal um income earner so it was like really cool that i got to use both sides of my brain is it fair to say that that you both have been thinking that music in one form or another would be your career since an early age? Or did either one of you ever have like a second, a second passion, a backup plan? I never had a backup plan just because I started so young and I'm an obsessive person as it is. So the fact that I started at the age I started at and I had extremely supportive parents, I didn't look for anything else. Aaron, anything? Well, since I'm the firstborn, yeah. I had to have a backup plan. And so <laughs> what was it? I have a degree in international economics and uh, marketing. Okay. Which plays into what you're doing just fine. What you were saying, like in terms of working with labels and, and, and doing the sort of business end of the music or no? No, not really. It's just a okay. plan. Yeah. And I can sum up the music industry very quickly. There is so much supply and not enough demand. That's what makes it hard. So I've always wished that I was this person who just, you know, just knew what he wanted to do when he was young, you know, like, like you, Elon, and mm-hmm. just stayed on that path. I mean, to me, and I think to a lot of people, it's really inspiring to see people who do that. It's also a little frustrating because I can't go back in time and have a consistent passion. Well, except maybe archaeology. I've always loved it for, since Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've but always how- wanted to be Indiana Jones as well. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not even joking. I, I want to whip a gun, a fedora, a leather. I just want to just go find things that fascinate me. Yeah. I, that's, it's not too late. Yeah. It's not too late. Post-COVID, <laughs> we can start a company. We'll do that. I bet you. Anyway, how do either of you ever feel sorry for people like me who just <laughs> jump from shiny object to shiny object, right? That haven't had that lifelong. You both have a lifelong music passion. Like I'm trying to, I always get inspired by people who have had it, no matter what their, their career, I do struggle with sometimes translating that inspiration into personal passion, you know, about my own thing. Well, here's a question for you. Yeah. Are you generally a happy guy? Yeah. That's good. Do you feel that it's all about the journey and not the destination? Absolutely. Because I, I don't I don't know if I've ever had a, de- a reach the destination. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that guy. Okay. So I tip my hat to you. Now, my statement is not implying that I'm unhappy. You can see a smile right. on my face right now. I am a happy guy. But I'm constantly worried about needing to achieve what I want to achieve or what I need to achieve. So mm-hmm. Aaron briefly mentioned a band that we were in that had not even made it a year on a major label and was dropped. Now at this point in time, I was 16 years old and you'd think that I'd be a happy guy. I've got some tours under my belt. I'm about to finish high school early because I'm doing all these cool things. But I I joke about it now, but I recall the Warp Tour coming to San Diego the year of my 16th birthday. And by this point in time, I already played Warp Tour 
two or three different years, and my friends in high school at the time wanted to go to enjoy it. I only went to go hang out with my friends. I really didn't care about going to see bands that year or taking a concert experience. Because by that point in time, I had already just seen the logistical pains in the ass of festivals and that kind of thing. So I went to go hang out with my friends. But having just been dropped, watching all these terrible bands, thinking... I'm 16. I've already been dropped from a label. What am I going to do? Like, I know I'm better than this and I need to figure this out and I need to figure it out now. So I'm having the conversation that a 20, 25, maybe even 30 year old is having as a 16 year old thinking, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And as I said, It's funny in hindsight, but at the time it was thoroughly depressing. And I have moments like that yearly, bi-yearly, certainly every five years where I really need to take stock of what I've done, what I have to do. And for the people who say, oh, it's about the journey. It's not the destination. I think bullshit. I want to get to where I'm going or else how will I know whether the journey has been worthwhile or not? So... In terms of people such as yourself who enjoy themselves going from one thing to another, hey, I I tip my hat and um, everybody's different. Yeah, that's what, you know, and but then for people like myself who at least say publicly that it's about the journey, not the destination to avoid depression, um, you know, we also want more of where you're at, right? Aaron, do you, do you ever counsel Elon on this? Are you ever like the, the big brother that's like, hey, man you know, you're getting too wound up on this or do you share that, that sort of, um, no, direct drive? I, I always kind of talk him off the ledge. Cause I would tell Ilana, I'm like, you're always so focused on like the tip of the mountain that you don't get to like turn around, look around and see where you're at and like taking the view of whatever summits you're, you're reaching. So little by little, I've been trying to instill that in him, but, uh, you know, Part of what makes Elon great is that ambition and that determination to not just stop and take in the status quo. You know, his status quo is most people's like, that's my career. That's what I did in life. You know, it's like it's not enough for him to right now be, you know, the youngest person in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be in, you know, bands like nine inch nails and angels and airwaves and stuff like that. It's not enough for him to do that. It's like, he now needs to be more than that on his own or tackle new things and respect. I mean, I'm (laughs) we're wired a little bit differently in that, you know, to him, he just sees it as me being lazy and, you know. So you must, it must be tough for you sometimes, Alon, to get frustrated. Do you get frustrated with people who aren't wired like you or do you have patience and, and a little bit of sympathy for the rest of us? Um, especially, especially in band settings. In band settings, I have extremely limited patience. And that is the reason why I started the new regime to begin with is because the band that I was with at the time, I just felt that nobody took anything seriously enough. People took everything for granted. They weren't hard workers. And the the luck aspect, which is an ingredient to everybody's success 
in a way, any way you look at it. You can be the hardest worker in the world and not get to where you want to get, or you can fall ass backwards and do an incredible career. But I always had an issue with not even just the band at the time, uh, every band, when, when people didn't work hard enough, it always pissed me off and really irritated me. And as a drummer, you're the first one in and out of the studio, for example. So I'd go in, I'd do my drum tracks in a day or two. And then five months later, I'd get a phone call saying the album's almost done. In which case, that whole time I would I would be doing stuff, but I felt like career-wise, I had my hands tied behind my back and I couldn't advance in any way. So that's when I decided to start an endeavor where I could do everything by myself and I wouldn't have to depend on anybody. So that's the new regime. Correct. That's the new regime, which is, it's it's all you. Aaron, you're involved with that one too, right? Engineering, yeah. Doing all that. Uh, Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul just released. You have... Uh, couple versions of that the regular version and the deluxe version correct a couple pieces of vinyl which i have in my to purchase uh tab right now um well, thank you very much you aren't kind they of gentlemen like one's red and one's white i don't i was trying to pick last night and i got tired and went to sleep um am i remembering that correctly of colored vinyl yeah speak through the white yeah. and red so go uh, what's the web what's the url newregime.com right it's the newregime.com yeah. yeah go to the newregime.com vinyl junkies get yourself a piece of vinyl because uh, these are beautiful things. They're they're physical analog artifacts that are also a great way. I like to buy vinyl from bands that I that I appreciate. I feel guilty sometimes. Like you know, I get a whole catalog. I get everybody's catalogs for ten bucks a month. It doesn't seem fair. But I worked at a lot of record stores. I used to have to buy things from the tower where I worked at, mm-hmm. and it was you had to sacrifice a little bit of something to get your favorite band's new release, especially if like most people, you were working for minimum wage. You know, it was four hours of your work was a $16 CD, mm-hmm. right? So you had to give up half a day's wage you know, to get that new Fugazi record or whatever it was, it, you had to sacrifice for it. So back to what you were saying, Ilan, about- That though, you would listen, what's that? You would listen to the CDs. Oh man, yeah, it would- it would become the I soundtrack. Just, I just dropped 50 yeah. bucks. I'm going to learn to love this. Absolutely. No matter what. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's like, this is the soundtrack to my drive to Seattle. This is my soundtrack, you know, and you would listen to albums all the way through. Anyway. So, Ilan, let's, we got to drop into COVID real quick. I'm curious about with your drive and what your brother was saying a minute ago about trying to tell you to look down from the mountain at at what you've accomplished. Has COVID cooled your jets at all? Have you found any peace in it or are you just madly frustrated? Any advantages with COVID for you? Uh, Yes, actually. And um, what I will say is um, obviously health is the most important thing. And I've been fortunate to be healthy and not have any scares of any kind, but I'm a very time conscious person. So because I haven't had any touring commitments or anything that has legitimately taken huge chunks out of my schedule, I really have enjoyed the gift of time. And that is a privilege because when you think of basically having all your work for the year completely disappearing, and fortunately I don't have to at this point in time, you know, worry about mortgages and and health and all that, that serious adult stuff. I've really been able to just crawl inward. I'm in my studio daily, 
And I've been able to take advantage of the time and do things that I've wanted to do for a long time, namely really try to plant some seeds and get a foothold into scoring music, whether it be for film or TV or some other sort of project. And with that, learn the art of orchestration. And as a classical music enthusiast, borderline fanatic, these are things that I've really wanted to do for a while. But being on tour and jumping from one thing to the next, I never felt I had the appropriate time to devote to it. So now all of a sudden having all this time, I thought, okay, I can't squander this and I'm going to make the most of it. So I've been incredibly productive and that's definitely kept me sane. But I will admit that I've constantly kept my eye on the the glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel, hoping for touring to get back to normal, hopefully by summer or the end of next year, because I do love that side of things. So I, uh, I've, I've made the most of it. And I really think that's all I can do and all anyone can do. Everyone's you mentioned, the same thing. You mentioned being a classical music uh, junkie. To all your rock fans out there, if you could introduce them, if they're listening and they're like, well, classical music, two, two composers that you want uh, them to check out. It's really difficult. I mean, I I would probably go with Beethoven as is a potential number one, just in scope. And if we're talking, if, if things like attitude and breaking the rules mean anything to anybody, Beethoven was definitely at the forefront of that. But it really depends. If you, if you like complex harmony and you're not really into a specific structure in the way we know it today, Bach is fantastic. If you like a catchy melody, go with Mozart. And if you like... Some immense passion. Go for Chopin. I don't know. It's all over the place. No, I just, that's great. That's great. Just want people to dive in. If they haven't gotten into classical music, mm-hmm. time to expand the horizons. I think that's perfect. What if you're into anti Semitism? Wagner, Ooh. for sure. For sure. Oh, Wagner. Wagner's yeah, yeah. your guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Super Nice Club, probably, I'm hoping we don't have a lot of anti Semites out there. But listen, if you are anti Semitic and yeah. you're in the Super Nice Club, I'm just recommending that's the part that you work on yeah, like right now. Okay. Well, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, this is the episode you don't want to listen to. Just work on that anti-Semitic, you know, I, 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 I would recommend immediately. It's a big thing, big deal to me. So, you know, let me know if you're anti-Semitic message me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I want, I want, I want to understand. All right. Let's see I, if I can understand. I will, I will say to that though, um, mentioning Wagner, if, say, for example, somebody likes film music and they think, I like film music, but what's, say, a composer that I can get into that didn't write for film? Wagner would be a great place to start. There's a lot of great, bombastic, brassy quality to those operas. Yeah, they're almost um, just all big pro- propagandist, right? Yeah. Yeah, all yeah but, you know, <laughs> I, I am a... Um, I mean, this could be an entirely different conversation, but I do believe to a big degree, if the talent is worth it, you got to find a way to split the art from the man. I I agree with that, which is why I didn't blush at all when we were talking about Michael Jackson earlier. Oh, people are probably wincing that I just put Uh, that together. But, um, you know, same, same here. No um, joke out of my mouth. Did I? I want to get back to rock. Hit me a little bit. Aaron, you were talking earlier about the demand 
the the demand supply and demand uh, uh, the surplus that's happening right now. I might be showing my age, but I need some help. Who's who's carrying the rock torch right now really well? Like I love the new proto martyr. I don't know if you know the. Okay, nobody. All right. Nobody. He, I, I, I think on the rock side of things, you have mostly people who have ingrained themselves from from years ago. So you have like the Foo Fighters, Muse, you have Queens of the Stone Age, and then, you know, randomly, you know, the Killers. Um, you'll have, you know, bands pop up like, you know, Royal Blood, you know, and then right now it's a very weird thing going on with like Machine Gun Kelly and Youngblood and all of those guys. But I, I mean, is, is that rock or is that pop with guitar? Here, I'll, I'm gonna I'll jump in if you don't mind. So I I agree with what Aaron's saying. You either have legacy acts or on the verge of being a legacy act, people who have been around for 15, 20 plus years who have their foothold and they're not going anywhere. And those would be the most accurate representations of rock, but that is not necessarily right now. So you either have bands who have been around for two plus decades or bordering on that territory, you then have rock bands who wish they were from another decade and want to dress that way and act that way and sing that way. And I don't buy it. And I don't think, I, I don't think a lot of people buy that sort of thing, but, and, and all the power to them. But the, the unfortunate part is that when we're looking at rock, which people are either saying is dead or somehow is reviving itself, you have legacy acts, you have, uh, let's call them homage acts to be as you know PC as possible, or you have these new things that the most rock part about them is the way they may be posing in a photo or the fake attitude or whatever you want to call it. It's not actual rock music. And with everything that I've just said, I'm not advocating, oh, we need rock and roll back because that just means when people say that, they're usually looking for a regurgitation or a recycling of something that once was. And that sucks as well. And I think it's all a result of close-mindedness, especially from the industry perspective, because if something works, people can say that rock is dead. And then if something's on the up and up, they say, oh, this is the revival. They kind of pin their hopes on that one thing. They find five acts that are reminiscent of that. And then they kind of hope for the best rather than actually trying to steer the ship towards something. And once again, I'm not, you know, naysaying the business side of music because it is a business. But the the risk element, the diversification element, that all seems to be gone. And what you end up with is just very sort of surface level music, unfortunately. But on a lighter note or a more positive note, I should say, with pop in itself becoming so many different things, I feel like the, the the walls of genrefication are crumbling, which is really nice. And 
whether something is rock or it's pop or it's R&B, I mean, who really gives a shit? It's either good or it's not. You like it or you don't. So I hope to see the, the, the genres disappear because really they don't help in any way. So that's kind of my ramble about it. But there's certainly no kind of act bearing the torch of rock band. And I'm not saying it's necessarily the band's fault. I mean, everyone's trying to fight for the same extremely limited amount of, of real estate. Yeah. And as Aaron said, with that, continue. You're, you're, also, you're, not, you're also not seeing labels investing into nurturing the bands that they've signed. You know, like we mentioned earlier, the band that we were in, we were dropped not even a year into our contract. Now, U2's first album didn't do much. Queen's first album didn't do much. Def Leppard's first album didn't do much. Like all these bands, they didn't really hit until their, you know, third or fourth record, you know, after they, they were able to cultivate who they were, what they wanted to sound like, um, and really had that support of their label. And because the music industry has become so um business oriented and at the same time instead of seeing through what they've invested in they're just like they'd rather move for the instant gratification of the hit right now as opposed to keeping on somebody who over the course of 20 years will be a massive star you know or a, a massive band that will make a dent and change the way things go well i could be wrong but it seems like it's a lot easier for labels to promote singular personalities like a machine gun kelly you know like a a, a a single face instead of a band right because that single person can get out there on instagram and tiktok and all that stuff and just be a a a brand a lot easier wrong look at all the k-pop they're all like oh that's true no you're right you're right k-pop's massive yeah insane yep. well not only yeah. not only that i don't i mean these people are in control of the marketing so that is maybe just a result of how they've chosen to market. But I mean, we can all know if we're into a, a band, whether it's three, four or five people, everybody's kind of got their, their favorite beetle, their favorite, this, their favorite, that. So, I mean, if we're talking about marketing potential, it really should be multiplied by the amount of people in the band. But, um, I'd, it, it's it's a tough thing, and I don't understand why why that all is. You know, these people are in control of, of how they're marketing, what they're marketing, and who they're marketing to. And um, it was interesting. I mean, what Aaron said about labels who used to really invest in their acts. I mean, mm -hmm. these people are still benefiting on back catalogs that were risks and investments in their time that are still paying out three, four, five decades later. So I don't understand where the disconnect is between the quick sale and the immediate hit or the thing that is going to last for decades and, and become that legacy act. I don't understand where the disconnect is. And it seems like the music industry is the only industry that doesn't really have to invest in long-term goals or push to make things smarter or more efficient. We have some questions from Super Nice Club members okay. for you guys. I'm going to run them out real quick. So Doreen uh, Hukal 
H-U-C-A-L, Doreen, I'm sorry if I messed up your name, but she's in Castle Gar, British Columbia. She wants to know for you, Ilan, how you continue to evolve as a drummer to always be making yourself better. Is that through constant instruction, constant practice? Basically, I think it's like where your inspiration is. I, I think you've answered just you're self-motivated so much, but is there anything extra, any special juice in there? Oh, well, this may be disappointing, but I really don't spend a lot of time focusing on drums in particular at this point in my life. And I haven't for a long time, but that doesn't mean I don't improve as a drummer. What I'm saying is that my improvement on the drums is really a result of my exposure to other instruments, different bands, and the way my mind sort of evolves as a result of that affects my drumming. Okay. So I'm not necessarily the type of person to sit there and practice for hours and hours and hours. Even as a kid, I would kind of learn something specific that I wanted to learn. But the, I think the key ingredient to me as a musician is that when I learn that thing that I've wanted to learn, I then really figure out how to make it my own and incorporate it into whatever it is that I'm doing, take it apart flip it around and really make the most of that one building block. So anything that you've learned as a musician, it doesn't have to be on drums, it can be on anything. Really the the key and the goal to everything is application. You got to figure out how to use it and express it within what you do as a musician. I could sit there and learn something that is say really complex. It's a real sort of shreddy, impressive thing on the drums. But if I can't actually use it, it's it's pretty useless to me. So Aaron, I think you can handle this one. This one's from Chris Davis. What's it like working with so many different personalities? Do you ever have trouble managing them? And so for you, it, you know, as an engineer, you've got to, do you ever have to duke it out with people about, you know, best mixes, et cetera? Oh yeah. But that's why I've kind of chose to work with the people I work with who are somewhat solo. <laughs> when, you're with, when you're working with bands, like, everybody's got an opinion and everybody needs to be listened to. But, um, you know, the best idea always kind of wins as far as, uh, best mixes. And I mean, that's stuff that I kind of struggle with as a producer when it's like the band will be like, Hey, we want this person or the label will be like, Hey, we want this person to mix, um, instead of you. And it's like, I'm getting these mixes and an ego part of me says, my mix is better. Um, and then I then have to control that and then say, how can I steer this person towards getting to where I want the song to be? And say, well, I don't need the mix credit. I produced, I engineered this. Sometimes I co-write on these things. So I think sometimes you just have to step out of your own body and you know, put yourself in other people's shoes and see how you'd want to be talked to or you'd want to be communicated with. Um, and you have to learn to talk to different people different ways because different people get in, you know, get information differently. Mm -hmm. Like part of what makes Ilan and my chemistry so good is that there is zero filter between the two of us. And, and there'll be people in the room listening to us talk who are like, Ilan will leave the room and be like, hey, are you guys cool? And I'll be like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, I mean, you guys were like going at it. I'm like, no, we were just 
hashing something out. It's not a big deal. I was going to tell a story where uh, when I started working with Tom and joining Angels and Airwaves, Aaron pretty quickly came in to engineer those sessions and then eventually started mixing and, and producing and all that stuff. But there was a time where Aaron and I did get into it and it did get, it got heated, but in a, in a brotherly way where we know that that heat dissipates very quickly. But to somebody whose last name is not Ruben, Tom was almost distraught at the level at which Aaron and I were kind of arguing our points on to where this song should go musically. And I did leave the room and Tom, <laughs> Tom was like, you guys okay? That, that was pretty gnarly. And Aaron's like, what are you talking about? And then two minutes later, everything is, is back to normal. Yeah. So, I mean, but the way I speak to Ilan or Ilan speaks to me, we can't just go out and say that to everybody else. So, I mean, you kind of need to get to know people and you need to get to know what makes them tick and how they're able to get information and receive information and get the point. And I think once you start kind of being a psychologist and thinking about that, I think that's where you start seeing results and same thing, you know, that's just not even with production. That's also as management where you're dealing with, you know, band members, everybody has a different personality and you kind of have to know how to communicate with them to make sure that they get the point and understand the point and go from there. So very long. That's Ropa. Yeah, no, well answered. Well answered. That's, that's Chris Davis. You got your answer. And last one real quick from a mutual friend of ours, uh, Taylor Milne. Taylor Taylor, he's he's uh, everybody. He's in uh, a couple of great bands, The Silver State and The Killers. So check out both those bands. He wants to know, Elon. He just texted this, so it's funny. Um, how many jazz masters do you now have, and has your current girlfriend managed to not fall off into a cliff of six feet snow into a six feet of snow? My current girlfriend is now my wife. Hey, congratulations! So, yeah, she's. Um... Very even keel lady. She's uh, fantastic. Nothing to worry about there. So that's good. How many jazz masters? I still only have one jazz master, but um, I have a lot of telecasters. That's for sure. He might be asking for a Christmas presents. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, we can see how that goes. It is. It is the time of year. <laughs> Before you guys go, I want to give a quick shout out to some other drummers we've had on this podcast. Of course, Ronnie, Ronnie Venucci of the Killers. Um, that's where I met you at Ronnie's wedding. Mm -hmm. I was just some dude at the punch bowl. I just remember you were a really nice guy and I was envious of your hair, oh. I think. And I said, I said, Ronnie, who's the guy with that hair? And then he told me like what you were all about. I was like, oh shit, great. Logan Gramey from the band Mini Matilda. He's amazing, good friend. Uh, my old pal, Joey Ficken, who drums for Seawolf and Holiday Friends. Joey was also this kid who at nine years old was just blowing away the world. And uh, who else? Oh, Mike Shore. I used to work with him at this sex shop. Uh, and a record store. And Mike, if you're out there, how's it going? He went on the drum for Death Cab and a bunch of other bands. Oh, cool. Um, Mike, I think, is up in Seattle now. Anyway, so all the drummers in my life, love you guys. Elon, Aaron, I really appreciate you both being on this episode of Nice Work. Thanks. And we usually wrap with, I know we're on time shortened things. So if either one of you has a challenge for the members of the Super Nice Club, something they can do to make their world a little nicer, throw it out there. Um, try to vacuum every two days. Love it. All right, you guys. So that's the challenge real on. Try to vacuum every two days. It'll make your house a nicer place to be in. Yes. 
And don't forget the don't forget the baseboards. You know, they they acquire dust, and it's it's a real pain in the ass if you don't get to it. Yeah, you got to have the right vacuum that'll hit the baseboards, though. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't. You got to take a separate attachment. And, yeah, like, really, got to get you in. Know? there. got to get in there. <laughs> All right, guys, really appreciate it. Thanks for being on. I I uh, I wish you both the best in the future. Again, you guys, check out check out uh, the new regime. Check out the new record. Anything else we need to shout out? Nope. Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul Deluxe Edition. Go get it. Enjoy it. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having us. All right. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with two great humans, Aaron and Ilan Rubin. Two great, talented guys. I, I, I just love their dynamic together as brothers. Clearly a lot of love, clearly a, a, a lot of trust and wisdom exchange between the two. I, I, I have three sons. Two of them are close together in age. And you know, it's as as a parent, and a lot of parents are out there, right? You kind of wonder and worry, are your kids, are they going to get along? You know, are they going to have a, a combative, rivalrous relationship? Or are they going to be a family that loves each other and is there for each other? It, it's amazing to me how often, unfortunately, siblings drift apart. Not seeing that here. Not seeing that with these two. I'm hoping for the same with my boys. I really am. I hope you had a great time listening to this. If you have any feedback, questions, input, anything like that, go ahead and give us a holler. Give us a text, 310-421-0393, 310-421-0393. Don't forget that the Rubens have minted a masterpiece, Heart, Mind, Body, and Soul. Yeah, that's the new New Regime record that we talked about earlier. Link in the show notes or just Google it. Put it on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever it is that you do. Buy some vinyl like I did. Vinyl also lasts a long time. But is it a really good choice for consumption? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe digital is the way to go as far as that goes. Anyway. All right. Love everybody. Stay nice. Talk to you next week. So what? Big deal.